a year ago in August, uh, my mom died from cancer. And so I think um, I wanted to add this. I forgot to add this when I was talking earlier after you got up. And um, it, it's, it's easy to just say, oh, well, you know, um, why pray? She prayed. I prayed. It didn't seem to work. And um, your testimony is just really um, helped revive a prayer life in my life. So I appreciate that. And I thank you. Um, I uh, want to recommend to you guys uh, something I'm reading called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. And um, I, I urge you to go out and get it if you hadn't read it. Um, I don't like to recommend everything I read because um, I don't want to put unfair expectations on any reading material. And um, I don't like it when people are like, hey, you need to really get this book. It'll change your life. And you read it and doesn't necessarily do the same thing for you. But um, I'm reading it, and I'm halfway through it. And I normally can read a book in a day or two. But I can't read this book in a day or two because I'm not just reading through it. It's working on me. And I'm working through it. And so I recommend it to you. Good stuff. A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Um, anyway, some other announcements. <laughs> Pastor Giorgio, for those of you who don't know, um, what was it, Thursday or Friday? Wednesday? God. He was with Dale Austin in a meeting. Um, Dale, he was having some pain meeting with you, and uh, Dale took him to, huh? Oh, you didn't cause the pain, Dale, um, as we'll find out here. <laughs> but, uh, and uh, he was like, Dale, you got to take me to the hospital. He was way south and had to go to the, uh, was it Presbyterian in, or CMC in Matthews? Presbyterian in Matthews. And um, he had a kidney stone. He said he had never had that kind of pain before in his life. And um, so I went out and saw him. He was doing better on his morphine um, when I saw him. And um, so it looks like the doctor is like it's real close, like the main pain is it getting into the thing and whatever. Um, <laughs> and it was real close to getting into the bladder. And, you know, and so that pain, it's hard for me to say it because I start hurting. Um, sorry to be so selfish about it. Um, but it took a while for it to actually get into the bladder and he they were going out of town they thought he was he, he tried to medicate it with pain but the pain medicine makes him nauseous and he couldn't keep the pain medicine down it's just a mess um so praise god last night he passed the stone but he wanted you to know he couldn't be here today because he's stoned um <laughs> that's what he wrote just letting you know he was supposed to be leading worship today, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, he had to have a kidney stone now, and I had to do it. Um, but um, so he really wanted to be here. If you know him, he would try. But like I said, he's on his medicines right now, resting um, in the Lord, the prescriptives of the Lord. <clears throat> so continue to pray for him as he recovers and kind of a damper on the Christmas holidays, a kidney stone. So um, anyway, as we turn to our devotion, again, we're looking at Isaiah 9th chapter. Historically, the sign for, um, and let me say, the hand signal for peace 
is the V sign, right? You see people peace, right? And hold up your hand, index finger and the middle finger spread. And there's all kinds of uh, controversy and irony with this sign, with these fingers and this sign of peace. Because I, I was researching it and I realized it can mean all sorts of different things depending on who holds it up, when it is held up, and which direction the palm is held in, in or out. Winston Churchill, um, Great Britain's leader during World War II, he smoked cigars. And he would often hold his fingers in the V to hold his stogie, you know. And unfortunately, the peace symbol, when the palm, when it's palm in, means the same thing as giving somebody the bird, right? It, it meant you're screwed. It meant screw you, right? It, 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 I need go no further than that. You got it. And then during the war, the, sim, the, he, the, the symbol was turned around, palm out, and it became the sign for V. V for victory in World War II, in the World War II effort. And then during Vietnam, the Vietnam War, the protests of the 60s, this same symbol was purposely hijacked to mean not victory associated or with or through war, but victory through no war, through peace. That is true victory, peace, right? When Jesus came over 2,000 years ago, he came to be humanity's savior and thus the international sign and savior of peace. And Jesus, the one Isaiah prophesies as being the prince of peace in verse 6, means that Jesus comes and brings us peace in the irony and reality of all three V symbol meanings to reveal and deal with the curse, to gain victory through war, and to bring and be our peace so that we don't have to battle on our own anymore. We look at this passage and its implications. The context here is that peace is turned against humanity. That humanity is left. That we're living screwed up in, in a world, in this world that talks about darkness and which means living life without any direction, any reason, any purpose. Living this life in futility and lacking a sense of worth or reason for what and why we do what we're doing. This darkness that Isaiah is talking about here is the kind of darkness that makes you say, forget living, forget trying. It is the kind of darkness that makes you stop believing that anything good really can happen or that, or that you are worth anything and leads you and me to live cynically and angrily and depressingly about ourselves and this life. It's the kind of darkness that, that makes you function and live like there is no God and no good real leader we can follow. Isaiah goes on after talking about darkness to talk about living in the shadow of death. And I believe our testimony this morning rings true here that death and the diseases and unforeseen circumstances are out there. Unseen and unbeknown to us living in darkness and uncertainty are there, right? The the statistics on death are alarming. One out of every one person is going to die. That's you. That's me. In the shadow 
death, anxiety, no peace. Because you're going to go one day and we just don't know how. And then the mention in verse 3 about enlarging a nation is about God's people, all of them coming through, coming together through the coming Messiah, gaining and living in a unity with each other to, to just have people get along across social and economic and geographical barriers. And then, and then the harvest is mentioned. Simply put, they were struggling and living in the constant fear of famine. Not having enough. Come on, this is become a reality more than ever for most of us who lived in the excess of the mid to late 90s, early into the millennium, and the recession hit. Right now, you could be broke tomorrow. Retirement there yesterday, today, no retirement. And Christmas brings it out the more. You know, I don't like Christmas that much. I have a hard time, don't I, Kelly? And she's like, you want to put the tree up? I guess. You want to go shopping? Mm-hmm. I figure. And I, I'm trying not to be the Scrooge, right? But I think about Christmas. Why don't I like it? One reason I like it kind of brings out my financial incompetency, right? Just competence. I, my inability to thrive in and manage this broken area of my life, finances. I don't save like y'all got the Christmas save fund. I'm going to be saving no Christmas fund. If I save it and I see it and I want something, I'm probably going to spend it. So there's no need to have a Christmas fund. Christmas is every day for me. And then when I do, I overspend. Like I'm out there saying, I don't have no money. I can't get it. I want it. Boop. It's like the curse. I mean, Christmas shoots me to bird every year, right? Like you can't deal with it. It's Christmas. Visa any other way to you as I live on the other side of peace financially, right? And some of us live that shows how much you don't have to get what you really want. And, and, uh, and apart from Christmas, man, folks are just having a hard time keeping their homes and jobs and, and banks and businesses are trying not to close and cut back. But they are closing and cutting back and have been. There is no peace in this life. And then in verse 4, it talks about the yoke of the oppressors, and it could be a number of things that you and I struggle with. It could be racism and sexism and addictions and relationships, relationships that have become burdensome and hard and imprisoning for us. What is all of this stuff telling us again? There is little or no peace for you and me because we have enemies. Seen and unseen, spiritual and physical, bringing turmoil and trials and tribulations and upheavals. In our lives. Was Isaiah saying in the Bible, teaching us in this chapter 9 about this, that our enemies, whether the devil, evil forces, the world, our own sin, are giving us the curse sign. We're cursed. We're living under sin. And like Winston Churchill during World War II, Isaiah is saying, peace an end to all of our darkness and oppression and famine and fear and struggle with the curse will only happen through war, victory. Engaging our enemies to get peace. I mean, look at the imagery here. It is wrapped up in the same stuff. Enlarged nation in verse 3. And, and then rejoicing when dividing the plunder later in verse three, at 3. And then it talks about shattering the yokes of oppression in verse 4. 
And then it talks about every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined to be fuel for fire. And then in verse 6, it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Then it says of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. In this final line, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I think in your translation, you have the Lord of hosts. And when you talk about the Lord of hosts or the Lord Almighty, what is it saying that God, the war general, the one who's over all the armies of heaven, that that Lord's righteous and boiling anger and jealousy for and over his people will make his armies engage in war. Now get this, this is a spiritual reality, more so now. But one day for real that Jesus is going to come back bodily and have a final victory. That is, he's going to engage in battle with all that wars against his lordship and our sense of peace. This little baby, what does he come to do that we see on the, on the little cards? He's come to wage war against hunger and ignorance and separation from God and his law and truth. To, to war against disunity and hatred and human oppression and discrimination. He's waging war and calling his people to fight. To fight against all the things that want to take the light away. To, to not be pacifist. But to get involved as those who are in a war, as those who believe they will and have gained peace from the Lord, their God's victory. What is it a call, what is it a call to the, to fight against your addictions? To fight against cancer with doctors. Yes, go to the doctor, get examined, and then pray, and pray again, and pray some more, and fight by letting folks know what is going on in your lives. No more darkness. It's a call to fight for peace by confessing and bringing your issues to the Lord and with others who see these things as enemies and will help you fight for your peace with and because there is a Lord Almighty God of hosts who is at war for you. Peace is not living in some sort of nirvanic spiritual ecstasy. Or trying to find Christian utopia. Finding, you know, we're all looking for it. The perfect church. The perfect community. The place where, you know, everybody's kind of getting along. There's never any, you know, of this. There's never any issues. Or the situation where there's no war and no conflict. No, the scripture is calling God's people to engage with and for each other. And it will mean struggle. Yet because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, it means we will be engaged in something that will end in people receiving victory that leads to peace. So live according to peace. And living according to peace might look like you're battling more than you're settling. There's an old hip-hop song that goes, looks like you illin' more than you chillin'. What's going on at that church over there? It just seems like it's always intense. 
Someone always got to confess their sins. Somebody always got to pray for somebody. Somebody always got a problem that needs to be resolved. That is belief that you have a Lord that wars for the stuff that stops you, the stuff that really stops you from having peace. Living in isolation doesn't give you peace. Settling and saying, you know, this thing's not worth fighting. It's too hard. It's too big. I've been dealing with this problem for 10 years. Just let me have some peace. That's not peace. That's oppression. So don't lose heart or confuse Jesus' war and in peace for a lack of peace in your lives and in this world. And hear this. Peace like any victory will mean an end to war and a surrender. Someone will lose. Someone or something will have to give in and give up. And Isaiah is saying, beginning in part now, but finally for all time's sake, everyone and everything will surrender to Jesus the victor. It means peace begins with you surrendering now. Laying down your defenses to God's grace. Whether it's your need to control, whether it's your fear of embarrassment, of being too needy, surrender. Surrender so that the Prince of Peace, knowing that the Prince of Peace is warring not against you, but aggressively, aggressively for his people. For some of you, let the Prince of Peace come in, in and against your burdensome life and world and for you. But we start talking, I know, about world peace. It's never easy to hear or accept, right? Why? Because when we, for example, when the United States talks about world peace, we're going to have peace in the Middle East. We, we get a little tense. Because <laughs> it's always at someone else's land's expense or sense of worth. There's always politics. There's always a question of, are we really doing it for the oil or for the people? And it all gets all halfway moral. The United States can be accused of doing more palm in world peace than real world peace, right? Which means you can't do it for yourself. The scripture is saying we can't get peace for ourselves. You and me, like the United States, we're too short-sighted and selfish and lack enough resources to be your and the world's police. Jesus has come to be and is the only prince and bringer of peace for you and our world. He alone can be trusted and he alone has the right to do it and he alone has the power and plan to do it. When the scripture says here in verse five, verse five, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. It is a call up to two things. Number one, yes, it's saying that one day the battle is going to be over. We'll no longer have to fight against sin and the world and the devil and all the things that hurt us. One day Jesus is going to call us to put down our weapons and we'll be in real heaven nirvana stuff. But it also means this. Some of you are trying to find peace on your own. 
you've been in battle, struggling to get content, struggling to make life work for you. And the Lord is saying, it's time to burn the boots in the garments of your, your own garments of trying to fight for your own peace. You know, it is a call for us to be like Jesus' hippies. You're not burning flags, but you're burning your own sense of righteousness. And you're trusting Jesus to fight for you. Jesus, the little baby, Prince of Peace, is God. The way to peace is only His And the only way will be his way. And this is how Jesus did it. It says here, the zeal of the Lord began to do it and promises victory in our battle and struggle against sin, the devil, and the world. Jesus came as the full sign of peace. Taking our sins and our struggles on the cross and by rising from the dead, He put an end to sin's dominance over us and rose as the world's Lord. He gained the victory that gives us the right to raise up and fight and live under a banner of peace. Jesus, he turns his palm out and he offers you peace but also as a world savior, as his peace and victory is turned to you. Understand what that means for him. The curse you deserved and should have to live with forever has been turned and facing him. He was cursed. He holds the victory so that you and I can receive and live in his peace. Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Prince of Peace. Thank you for fighting our battles that we can't. Thank you for being righteous in that war for our souls in ways that we can't. Lord, thank you for your victory, your peace, for you taking our curse. Lord, help us to surrender. Help us to fight. Help us to believe that you are the Prince of Peace. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.